also at K258BQ, 99.5 on your FM dial. Worldwide, we're on the web, KMUD.ORNG. And let's get to a little music. It's 7 o'clock straight up. The Herb Doctor's next. Didn't have any luck on the uh, third CD player. Doc, can we just go uh, live to the program? All right. The Herb Doctor is in the house and prepared to bring us another transformative, life-enhancing program. Let's go to Studio B for certainly one of my favorite programs on the mud. Ask the Herb Doctor. Doctor, take it away. Okay. All right. I guess first things first, just want to make sure that uh, Dr. Pete is going to be contacted. Good. Okay. All right. Well, sorry about that, folks. I normally have the intro-outro music uh, playing, but for some reason uh, the disc's unreadable. Okay. Anyway. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. This is uh, Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. Uh, my name's Andrew Murray. Um, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., uh, my wife and I were both licensed medical herbalists. Uh, we trained in England, graduated there with a master's degree in herbal medicine, and we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicines as well as dietary advice and other nutrition advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 until the end of the show tonight at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, to this month's subject of memory, cognition and nutrition. So if you live in the area, the number's 923-3911, or as is often the case, so many listeners across different states are calling in on the 800 number. So that 800 number, folks, is 1-800-568-3723, which translates as 1-800-KMUD-RAD, R-A-D. Okay, so uh, we have Dr. Pete with us? I do have Dr. Pete, and I neglected to thank our underwriter for Ask the Herb Doctor. And that uh, would be Jade Dragon Acupuncture. Came with thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio, practicing and teaching Chinese medicine, herbalism, and aromatherapy. Jessica is available for conferences, workshops, and private consultations. Located at 607 F Street, Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300. Online at jadragonacupuncture.com. And that's all one long word, Jade Dragon Acupuncture. Dot com all lowercase. Let's return to Studio B and the Herb Doctor, and we do have Dr. Pete on the line. Okay, hi, Dr. Pete. You are hi. with us? Okay. Um, I guess I just want to begin uh, tonight's show, as always, just by asking you to give us a, a synopsis of your academic professional background so that when people hear you, not only will they hear that you know what you're saying, but they'll also know that you've had a long time doing what you do. So uh, go ahead and just let us, uh, let us know what it is that you've, uh, you've done with the last 40 years of your life. Uh, well, uh, in the last 40 years, I've uh, just been studying independently by myself, but before that, I, uh, 1968 to 72, I was a graduate student in, in biology at the University of Oregon uh, for a Ph.D. in, in biology, 
specializing in physiology. Uh, before that, in the um, 50s, 56 to uh, oh, the end of the decade, uh, I, I was working on a master's degree at University of Oregon, and during that time I took courses in philosophy and psychology, uh, among other things. And uh, also, uh, 59 to 60, I took uh, some philosophy courses at uh, Ohio State University. Uh, uh, the phone is clicking. Is, is the line still there? I'm not sure. Yeah, you're on the air. I can hear you. So Okay. Okay, so uh, you, you basically started with philosophy, psychology, and I know that your main interests, are there, there are many, uh, main interests are hormone uh, physiology, uh, reproductive biology, aging, uh, and that kind of um, uh, s- uh, subjects. Yeah, but, yeah. The reason I, I decided to study biology was that I didn't think uh, people were working on consciousness in the right way. I, I thought I could get at it biologically. <laughs> Okay, excellent. Well, I know this evening's uh, topic is going to be uh, uh, hopefully not too heady uh, and too uh, too uh, unreachable. I think hopefully what I'm hoping is that it will stir the imagination of people listening uh, to see that, as I've always tried to uh, explain, the world is a lot more than we see with our eyes. Um, so the subject tonight of um, cognition, memory... Uh, and nutrition that supports uh, successful memory forming and recapitulation and memory retention uh, is going to be tonight's subject. Um, I just want to mention that uh, it's, it seems strange, but I, when I was looking at the uh, people, the pioneers of this subject in the last hundred years, there's a lot of Russians involved in it. Uh, and Dr. P, you mentioned a uh, chap called uh, Dostoevsky, um, and uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky and uh, gave an anecdote about a piece of uh, the history that you related to his uh, change in his uh, perception, his cognition as a result of imprisonment. So perhaps if we can, if we can start just by uh, you re- recounting that, it might um, be uh, enough to stir. Yeah, in in uh, the biography written by Jim Rice, a professor at University of Oregon, uh, he tells the story about um, his uh, nervous problems, whatever they were, that Dostoevsky had uh, uh, improved while he was in prison in uh, uh, Siberia. And uh, one of the uh, odd things was that he began eating uh, chopped meat because that was available in the prison. I guess in the winter they didn't have vegetables available, and so they had to hunt and uh-huh. had meat available. And, and his consciousness improved, so uh, the professor thought there might have been a, a nutritional aspect to uh, his change of consciousness at different times in his life. Okay, so uh, are you, uh, are you a, uh, we'll get into the subject in more detail, but are you uh, supporting the um, uh, necessary protein requirement in the diet? I know that some people oh, don't, don't want to yeah, offend yeah, that, that the was vegetarians. Yeah, that if, if you're really seriously deficient in protein, it absolutely affects your consciousness. Uh, a professor friend of mine in Mexico uh, said that uh, when some of his students at the university uh, couldn't memorize things, uh, 
he encouraged them to eat some protein and would invite them to to dinner <laughs> and feed them some protein. And uh, when I was teaching uh, language classes in Mexico City, some of my students absolutely couldn't remember anything that we went over. And so I would start my classes with, I, I, I made uh, uh, funny little cookies out of uh, eggs, uh, sugar, and wheat germ, and I would serve those with a cup of coffee at the start of the class. And uh, everyone uh, was able to learn their lessons just with that little extra boost of uh, uh, protein uh, carbohydrate and coffee. Uh-huh. Okay, because I know we're, we're going to mention some of those uh, dietary supplements, stroke nutrients, uh, of which caffeine is one of them. Um, let's, um, let's go on to uh, explore the, um, gosh, the, the, the philosophy uh, behind the uh, current thinking uh, based on some of these pioneering uh, characters uh, like Dostoevsky uh, and Chomsky uh, and there are several others that we'll hopefully get into a little bit later. Um, in terms of the, uh, the development of the understanding in which people remember things uh, and the conscious versus the unconscious uh, in everyday life, um, as well as the subject of gestalt or the um, déjà vu experience. How how do you and how have you seen the this development occur from a, a, a linguistic background? Um, in the 19th century, what Dostoevsky was reacting to, for example, in his story, uh, the uh, the dream of a strange fellow, uh, in which uh, uh, the hero of the story is suicidal because he sees the world as, as uh, full of uh, robots, uh, people uh, operating according to cause and effect, uh, doing uh, nothing other than what they're determined to do. And he's uh, driven to suicide by that, but then has a dream that uh, interrupts his suicide plan, and uh, he comes back and uh, becomes an advocate of, of the uh, position of free will. Uh, at the time he was writing that, uh, Europe, including Russia, was uh, being swept by the uh, mechanistic uh, idea. Uh, <clears throat> Huxley, a friend of uh, Charles Darwin, uh, advocated the idea that uh, Molecules in the brain uh, selected by evolution are absolutely in control of our thoughts, and their, our mind is simply uh, a, a shadow of this uh, determined mechanism. And uh, uh, Darwin uh, said that uh, he, he uh, appreciated having such a nice robot friend. <laughs> Darwin uh, didn't uh, approve of that mechanistic idea of consciousness, but uh, he uh, sort of joked about Huxley's uh, mechanical belief. Uh, but, but that idea has persisted, and uh, in my generation and uh, subsequently, uh, the outstanding figures have been Noam Chomsky with his idea that uh, genes determine uh, 
what he called r- rules, transformational mm-hmm. rules mm-hmm. that limit or determine uh, what uh, language, uh, the form that language takes. And the, uh, the reason we can speak is because our genes specify these rules. Uh, but 30 years later, he said, well, rules can't explain anything. But uh, well, lots of people didn't uh, notice that uh, he said it was all, all a mistake. Okay. Because, in fact, he, he still is sort of committed to all of that academic uh, work, publication mm-hmm. on, on genetic determinism. Uh, and uh, the uh, so-called cognitive science and uh, artificial intelligence are closely related uh, to the Chomsky position uh, using the uh, digital computer as a model uh, for understanding human intelligence. And since computers, <laughs> uh, since the 19, uh, late 1940s, have been uh, digital computers rather than analog computers, mm-hmm. uh, that has led to a, a digitalization of their consciousness theories. Uh, but it's uh, definitely not something that grew out of uh, biological uh, understanding necessarily, mm-hmm. except through that uh, that robot philosophy of, of Huxley and and others. Now, was, I just want to interrupt a little bit. When you say Huxley, I, I think of Aldous Huxley, but uh, no, uh, no. <laughs> uh, okay. I can't think of his first name. Oh, no problem. The, the grandfather of Aldous. Oh, okay. I was related then. Because he, he was the gentleman that wrote the uh, Doors of Perception. That was Aldous, the yeah, grandson. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, carry on. <laughs> okay, so um, you're saying that uh, Chomsky did did have a position that was, uh, I think you're trying to say that he didn't have the position that was allied to the digital or the digitized... Uh, yeah, yeah uh, the rules were uh, determined by genes, so they were uh, developed simultaneously with with the uh, modeling of the brain in terms of the digital analog computer. And the idea that the brain cells communicate uh, according to an on-off, all-or-nothing uh, signaling mm-hmm. was derived from that same uh, kind of quantizing uh, philosophy uh, that uh, the switch of a digital computer uh, each each bit of information is just on or off right. and uh, that was taken up by biology with the idea that when nerve uh, fires and is active and then uh, becomes quiet that's all the information that was sent one impulse one bit of information but um, uh, PK Anokin in Russia who was who grew up with uh, thinking such as uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky's uh, was critical of that idea, and um, many other people have noticed that you can't explain hearing and the full range of volume, uh, frequency, and uh, tonal quality and such transmitted on nerves, which are only on/off 
switches. Right, right. And, and so PK at Nocon uh, followed uh, through many uh, types of experiment and showed that uh, it's probably impossible to explain uh, brain function on the uh, analogy of a, a computer using a binary digit uh, uh, types of information. Right. Right, being either on or off. I mean, I think we'd probably all um, want to imagine, certainly with uh, the greatest of hope, that the, uh, the the digital on-off is definitely not what we are as people and that there's so much more to biological living systems than what science would readily explain by the on-off. And that's how these kind of breakthroughs in quantum physics um, are occurring and how the, the Einstein's theories are being challenged um, in terms of the uh, latest uh, thoughts on physics and how matter is interacting and space and time uh, all interact to produce this other dimension that I, I think we all like to imagine that we are living in in a, in a biological uh, way that we are influenced far more acutely by our environment um, and that there's so much more to us than is going on that could otherwise be explained by nerve firing, as you say, the, the, the example of electrical impulses being generated, uh, traveling down a nerve axon, crossing the synaptic cleft, reaching the receptor, having an effect, and then you know, triggering a, a chemical impulse in the brain, say, or a uh, secretion of a, a, a hormone or a, a neurotransmitter. There's, there certainly is much more to thinking and cognition than just straight on off. So, yeah, in Anokan's view, it would be more like a picture traveling down each nerve, uh, uh, but uh, not necessarily uh, traveling at the at the time of the impulse. But uh, that each nerve would be transmitting complex information, not just just a bit. And uh, these quantum. Uh, related ideas, the essential uh, ideas there are uh, resonance and coherence, okay. uh, the um, uh, interrelatedness of uh, uh, things separated in space and time. Okay. And uh, those were part of biology back when uh, quantum, when uh, Gestalt uh, psychology was uh, current in the um, 30s, 40s, and even into the 50s, people okay. were still mm -hmm. arguing uh, in favor of the Gestalt as being an image having a space-filling uh, function in the brain in some way uh, reflecting the uh, spatial and temporal arrangement in the real world. Okay. Um, and uh, that was... Uh, developed at the same time that the field concept in embryology uh, was uh, the main line thinking. And all of those ideas uh, were replaced by a, a digitalization and a mechanization of uh, biological causality around between 1945 and 1950. Um, and in that pre-computer uh, uh, time, uh, quite a few people were talking about uh, the uh, resonance from uh, sensory interactions. For example, in the nose, it would be a molecule vibrating 
mm-hmm. uh, stimulating some kind of an analogous vibration uh, so that, in effect, the actual aroma of a molecule would be reproduced uh, along the nerve and in the brain so that the brain itself would would contain the smell, in effect. Or when an image, when light uh, is absorbed by vitamin A uh, molecule in the retina, uh, it would excite a resonance uh, of, of a similar uh, luminous quality that would uh, travel down the nerve and be reproduced in the brain so that uh, you, you, in the gestalt view, you, you would actually have something like a luminous uh, event in the brain when you saw light in the world. Hmm. I, I, what makes me... Uh think at this point in time, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, those, uh, not for the uh, sake that it was found to be a little bogus in the end, but the uh, uh, the Yuri Geller type effect where he was shown, or if someone was shown a, a picture, an image of a star, and they were going to transmit this to Yuri by thought, uh, that, that, kind of, that kind of thing um, I'm sure does exist, and that is something that can be uh, either learned or can be um, exercised in terms of um, thoughts traveling across space from one place to another and how that can uh, be incorporated into the kind of growing the growing brain if you like through um, exercise or through um, yeah through exercise of that kind of be- um, behavior is is that resonance or that coherence anything similar to that kind of uh, uh, model where it's an extrasensory um, perception is transmitted across space from one person to another without actually the other person seeing the object? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, there are several experiments currently going on. Uh, the Noetic Institute, I think, has one uh, with random number generators. But wow. on the Internet, you can see uh, several uh, very interesting experiments. Uh, Michael Persinger, uh, okay. a neurologist, uh, has some interesting uh, publications and videos uh, in which he is arguing for a resonance between uh, everyone's brain and the electromagnetic resonance frequencies of the Earth environment and the Earth uh, resonating uh, as a a unit which uh, can be uh, sort of a, a medium through which uh, individuals can resonate. Uh. Okay, let me let me hold it. Just just get you to hold it there for a moment. Um, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM, and from 7:30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of cognition, memory, and nutrition. Uh, once again, we have uh, guest speaker Dr. Raymond Pete bringing his 40 plus years of uh, study on top of his academic background to bear on the subject. Uh, We are going to get into the subject of uh, brain nutrition in a while, but just to uh, let people know that from 7.30 on, uh, calls are welcome. Um, Dr. Pete, that reminds me of anxiety. And um, you you mentioned the Noetic Institute. So I was going to bring up the subject uh, of uh, the noosphere, um, and that was proposed by a Russian, uh, uh, Vladimir uh, Vernadsky, but is this noetic institute? It's the same thing. It's an institute for the study of 
the noosphere, perhaps, is it? <laughs> of consciousness? Yeah, didn't you mention uh, Michael Persinger oh. and the Noetic Institute? Oh, um, yeah, I, I don't know who's uh, okay. in charge of the okay. Noetic Institute right now, but... It's, but, uh, but there is an institute that's studying that, uh, the, yeah. the, the world of the mind, as it were, the, uh, the, the world of uh, conscious thought. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, included. Uh, uh, the um, uh, priest, uh, uh, Teilhard de Chardin, uh, followed uh, Vernadsky's uh, idea of the uh, uh, world becoming uh, uh, more and more conscious with supporting... Mm -hmm. Uh, the the growth of uh, more and more conscious uh, organisms, uh, specifically people. Yeah. Okay. And you know what? We actually have a caller, so let's take this first caller and uh, see where see what direction we're going in. Okay, caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? Hi, I'm calling from Mendocino. Um, this is Jeff right on Mendocino Coast, and it's a beautiful day in paradise, as okay. we say here. Uh, okay. Yeah, i got a question for you, Dr. Pete, and I always appreciate your brilliant enlightenment to us all here, and you're taking the time to do this. I have heard of several cases where music is used for therapy for people who end up comatose and with spinal injuries, and it has led me to make the statement that, of, about magical, mystical, medicinal, musical moments. And those cumulatively can help people come back. It helps us on a daily basis by releasing endorphins, which the insurance companies haven't figured out a way to get from us yet. No suggestions allowed on that one. But uh, good music always you know, brings those spinal chills and, and uh, good feelings to the body. And in going with the resonance of the universe, since everything is vibrating, including string theory, strings vibrate on musical instruments. I'd just like to kind of put that out, and uh, I'll uh, leave the line and uh, see how you respond to that. And thanks again for all you do, man. Okay, thanks for your call. So, Dr. Peter, how about, how about music, uh, music therapy? Yeah, I think it's something uh, much more subtle but more powerful than endorphins. Uh, I think the, the, the very structure of nerves uh, is uh, a kind of resonance uh, and carries uh, possibly by, as a, a semiconducting system, but uh, it, it carries a function uh, that's analogous to the uh, objective music outside the body. And so uh, when, when you uh, give the organism a chance to uh, relax and begin to respond to the music, you're um, uh, re reinforcing or enabling uh, a process that is very basic to the life of the brain cells and all of the, uh, the living organism. Uh, if, if you believed in the mechanistic uh, cognitive science artificial intelligence interpretation of, of consciousness, uh, you would see uh, the present moment as an infinitesimally uh, thin division between past and future that's, that's moving along uh, uh, like a line on the graph, uh, analogous to uh, a certain uh, measurement of depth, width, and height, uh, except uh, moving along the, the timeline, but uh, the unreality of that uh, 
uh, complete uh, nonsensicalness of it. In fact, you can see when you whistle a tune or, or listen to music or uh, see a performer who is uh, uh, doing in an intricately uh, whole and organized uh, way a, a, a song or, or other performance, uh, a director who can uh, organize uh, everything in the or- orchestra uh, to uh, produce the, the desired effect uh, is having to see where the a particular moment is going and where it has been, uh, the, the pace of the music and, and all of the qualities uh, have, that are developing in each moment depend on what you're perceiving uh, to come and as recently passed. Uh, so uh, the, the brain is like a musical composition that doesn't exist only in the present. Uh, the, the moment of consciousness uh, spans time uh, so that uh, you, uh, you're simultaneously present in uh, an infinity of, of these uh, infinitesimally uh, thin presences. Interesting. Okay, I just uh, another thought process has gone off in my mind of the uh, the Buddhistic kind of teachings of stilling the mind uh, as being a way to enlightenment. That, that's and I wanted to bring up the other subject of uh, you mentioned that there was uh, some test that was done and it uh, took uh, groups of people, some of who were lying down uh, to perform the test and some of which were standing up to perform the test and how measurably better they did when they were lying down. So how do you, how do you uh, how do you see that stilling the mind? and and, uh, releasing uh, yourself from anxiety as a mechanism uh, to which, um, you know, your brain would be more active, more uh, effective? Um, I think it's a matter of the um, breadth of time that your consciousness, when you're standing up, uh, you're ready to react quickly, but to a a short-term influence. When you're lying down, you... um, refer your reference uh, of meaning goes out farther in all directions uh, what you're going to do and what you've been doing uh, come into the picture and uh, uh, that allows you to achieve a a better uh, product in whatever you're thinking about than if you're uh, under the pressure of of meeting an immediate result uh, and when you're standing up you're you're ready to move quickly when you're lying down uh, you're um, relaxed and uh, your mind can uh, go out in time and space that's probably some of the reason why the uh, psychologists want you lying on the couch <laughs> whilst they uh, conduct their inquiry uh, yeah and uh, when you're under stress um, Glucose is is the immediate uh, uh, source of energy. Uh, well, uh, electrons probably are are the immediate source. Uh, the carbon dioxide produced from the glucose acts to uh, modify the uh, electronic properties of your cell, uh, so that it can perform these 
resonant, coherent uh, interactions. But glucose is, is the material uh, that keeps that conscious process possible. And if you're under stress and are using your glucose too fast or don't have enough of it available, uh, then uh, your nervous processes uh, go into uh, an emergency state where only the here and now, uh, the immediate right. uh, present and, and location are relevant. And uh, so anxiety uh, associated with hypoglycemia or stress uh, will uh, flatten the way your consciousness works. And uh, it, it might give you quick reactions, but uh, they aren't necessarily going to be the most interesting right. reactions. Again, so once again, we've... Uh, uh Touting, touting glucose as positive, helpful, creative, energetic, uh, when constantly, I can't believe the amount of times I see adverts for low sugar this, low sugar that, uh, and hear people talking about how bad sugar is, and it does this and it does that, and it causes cancer, and it's completely the opposite. I don't know how people can be so brainwashed. And, um, and if, if a person has um, been under uh, stress and not eating very well, uh, besides uh, protein, uh, vitamin B1 is sometimes the thing that can make the biggest difference most quickly. Uh, when it's absorbed, if you've been deficient in it, uh, well, a, a great deficiency can cause psychosis and hallucinations and so on, but a mild deficiency uh, can just make you feel sluggish and depressed and uh, not have a very good short-term memory, uh, not able to uh, uh, remember what you want or uh, uh, function as as acutely as you should. Uh, when you take that in a deficient condition, uh, suddenly uh, your whole mood and world seems to change. Uh, uh, what, what kind of dose would you say physiologically is uh, sufficient? Oh, uh, I've... Uh, experienced it with uh, as little as 10 milligrams okay. but uh, if it's just for uh, an emergency uh, 100 milligrams is okay all right we actually have another caller on the air so let's uh, before we lose the thread of that uh, b1 deficiency uh, let's take this next caller you're on the air and where are you from hello is that is that me yeah you're on the air where are you calling hi from, i'm from new jersey new jersey hi I've been on before, and I thank you so much for what you do. This is a, oh, just a fascinating show. Um, Dr. Pete, I was reading, and I'm so sorry this shows you where my, you know, sort of brain fog is. I deleted this beautiful quote about how neurogenesis can take place in the hippocampus, but also in the olfactory bulb. <laughs> and he it went on to describe how, if I remember, if I'm remembering, the hippocampus could be stimulated by exercise, but um, I think we are, you know, hearing that from so many quarters that maybe we don't need to explore that. I would like to explore the olfactory aspect. Um, can one, like, go around smelling things and, you know, start firing neurons or creating new neurons? Um, uh, Luca Turin, a perfume specialist, uh, has some uh, very good videos on the internet, uh, one on uh, pharmacology, but uh, he, he's talking about antidepressant drugs in that 
case, but I've really his main interest is in olfaction. And uh, I think that along with Heraclitus, who, who um, uh, talked about uh, the uh, nose essences uh, as uh, uh, being at the center of consciousness, uh, the um, really the olfactory system is uh, very closely connected with our our highest and best uh, conceptual uh, work. Wow! Um, so, uh, no, it, pardon me. You just you said uh, Luca Turin. L U C A. First name is L U C A Luca and Turin T U R I N last name. Okay, and then you mentioned another individual. Am I right? Another, another, another name? A, a different person. Um, I don't recall. Okay, all right. Well, I'm, I'll listen to the the archived version. Um, and would we have to? I mean, I guess what you're saying is that you know I'm going to explore this. I'm going to look into this. But in your understanding, is there? Would we perhaps have to surround ourselves with a particular kind of smell? I mean, if if you know, I mean, would it have to be acrid or as opposed to sweet? Or do you understand me? Oh, oh uh, no, just um, uh, the um, becoming conscious of of the smells around you, uh, uh, and each type of smell uh, has its uh, inclination uh, to uh, reinforce. A certain types of function, but mm-hmm. the whole process of uh, becoming uh, conscious uh, of odors in your environment, uh, that, that's very closely connected with the higher parts of the brain. Uh, and uh, conceptually, uh, you can use uh, odors uh, to um, stimulate memory, uh, the um, the way they uh, connect to um, the rest of the brain, uh, you can sometimes uh, with a thought you can associate the memory of a smell, and uh, sometimes the smell can bring back certain types of thought. Uh, mm. And the, the um, stimulation of the hippocampus, uh, any type of uh, uh, experience. Helps to stimulate that. Uh, for example, uh, taxi drivers in a big city who have learned all the streets uh, have a bigger hippocampus. Uh, but uh, stimulation uh, works everywhere in the brain. Uh, nerve cells are maintaining each other so that anything you do uh, consciously is tending to enliven the rest of your brain. It just happens that uh, vision and smell are among the uh, uh, very powerful things. Uh, uh, music has uh, the function of, of extending us through uh, the, the moment, expanding our moment that we feel present. Uh, but the the, um, the mechanists proposed an idea of memory that was sort of like a computer uh, in which uh, you could, uh, in one type of computer, you could say that memory was uh, punching a hole 
in a piece of paper or putting a, a signal on the tape, uh, some definite thing that you could find later, uh, go back to that card or that tape and uh, repeat that signal. Uh, and so they said, well, uh, there's some kind of a signaling process in the brain in which we might make a specific protein or RNA molecule and sort of drop it uh, in a, a certain location for later use. But uh, if you think about the type of process that you would have to go through to find the right memory molecule when you needed it, uh, the process and apparatus with which you would find that molecule already explains that you know where it is that you have the memory. So you already uh, have the memory, in effect, if you can go to find the molecule. Otherwise, molecules would just be um, jumping at you randomly, and uh, your memory would, would be like a computer that uh, spews out things at random. And yet, as I think you indicated, I know sometimes I've smelled something, and it has evoked memories that were, you know, I thought were forgotten. Uh, yeah, that, that's... I, oh, Heraclitus was the person I mentioned, the Greek philosopher. Uh, uh, simply, uh, so many people have, have noticed that, that uh, an odor can uh, uh, recall uh, a whole situation that... Uh, you thought you had forgotten. Many thanks. Much fun. I'm going to say bye-bye for now. Bye. Okay, thank you for your call, caller. Okay, uh, so we've got Dr. Ray Pete on the show with us tonight. We're exploring cognition, memory, uh, and nutritional factors that will support cognition and memory. Number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you're outside the area, there's a toll-free number, which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, so uh, to 8 o'clock, people were invited to call in. Dr. Pete, getting back to uh, nutrition, you talked about B1 deficiency as a cause uh, of, of a poor cognition and uh, using as little as 10 milligrams. Uh, and I know that those foods that typically people would might associate uh, the B1 would be things like sunflower seeds uh, and bread, but... There are other things. I, I, I heard that macadamia nuts have some B1 in them. Uh, are there any other sources of B1 that you say would be, uh, um, you know, uh, a good quality source of B1? Oh, um, all of the animal foods. Okay. Uh, eggs, milk, cheese. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. And I wanted to question you a little more about vitamin A. Um, I know you said, uh, and link this with anxiety when you're very... Uh, keen to stress that anxiety puts us in a very bad position to be able to remember things, to learn things, to have our brain working properly. And the whole anti-anxiety um, supplements that, that would uh, reduce anxiety, things... Yeah, vitamin A, besides being a, a matter of uh, sensitivity to um, electronic excitation, such as in the eye... Uh, and acting sort of as an antenna for interacting with electromagnetic energy. Uh, the other uh, region of vitamin A activity is in uh, activating the enzymes that make steroids. Uh, 
and especially brain steroids. So that if your vitamin A is deficient, uh, you not only have uh, poor vision and and skin problems and so on, but uh, your ability to make pregnenolone, progesterone, DHEA, and their derivatives is limited. Mm-hmm. And uh, the brain is the major uh, steroid-forming organ. Uh, uh, the skin, uh, the gonads, adrenals, and the brain. The brain is probably the most powerful uh, steroid-forming organ uh, when it's working right. And vitamin A is essential for making those. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got a, a thought about um, the... Uh, the misplaced belief that fish oils are good for you, although there is a lot of vitamin A in halibut liver oil. Um, and I think in the past, uh, when we've discussed um, vitamin A and its sources, that halibut oil has such a concentrated form of vitamin A and so little PUFA, which is the whole, you know, the whole point of avoiding the fish oils, that it's relatively safe. How do you, how do you, how oh, do you yeah, I mean, I know liver will true. contain it too, but what, what else would you say about, you know, the, 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 the amount of vitamin A in liver, for example, as a good nutritional food source versus uh, uh, halibut liver oil? Uh, well, the, the, um, the halibut liver oil gives you uh, a lot of vitamin A and some vitamin D and uh, probably traces of uh, vitamin E as well mm-hmm. and uh, not too much of the PUFA, so right. it, it's a good source. Okay. The, um, the, the liver itself, fish liver or chicken liver, right. beef liver, any kind of liver is a great source of vitamin A. Yeah. And, and then eggs, I guess, are another. Yeah. Yeah. And milk and cheese. Of course, dairy. Okay. And yeah. uh, vitamin B12 uh, happens to uh, be in crucial for turning carotene into vitamin A. Okay. Okay. All right, so there, there's um, there's three things there then that can be uh, definitely, um, yeah, relegated to the brain food section. So vitamin A, uh, B1, and then B12 because of its uh, help converting carotene, uh, beta carotene to vitamin A. Uh, what kind of things would use up someone's, apart from somebody not consuming enough vitamin A in their diet, there are definitely things that will consume vitamin A so that even if you do eat some of those vitamin A containing foods, you may actually be deficient? Um, Ultraviolet exposure uh, destroys it very easily in your skin and uh, that's one of the things involved in sunburn. Uh, Vitamin A reacts with the ultraviolet and and then spreads the damage to uh, any unsaturated fats that are in your skin. Interesting. So, uh, in this in this sense, then sunlight exposure is not particularly good for you. Although you know you have to weigh up the uh, the pros and cons of adequate vitamin D from sunlight and or um, you know the other beneficial effects of red light and the electron quenching. And vitamin E protects against that uh, breakdown and destruction of vitamin A. Is that right? Okay. So if you were to supplement with vitamin E. Um, and again, a vitamin E supplementation would be coming from something like wheat germ oil, but um, any other... Uh, yeah, liver and uh, yeah. milk and butter all have some vitamin E. Right. Okay. So, 
Um, there are other factors then uh, that would increase someone's ability to retain information and or develop, for want of a better word, new connections. Uh, and, and energetically, uh, that's an important uh, consideration. If you don't have sufficient energy in the system to drive those things, then it's not going to be possible to work efficiently. And I know that um, you, would, you would suggest thyroid and other uh, maybe pre uh, pregnenolone or progesterone as anti-estrogen substances that would also work towards that. Yeah, and um, uh, serotonin is um, when you're under stress or um, are eating uh, irritating foods, uh, your intestine gets inflamed and uh, releases extra uh, serotonin, which... Uh, some of it can get to the brain and uh, uh, signal uh, the stress system uh, and then uh, signaling the stress system can activate other uh, serotonin-producing systems so it can create a vicious circle. Would, but, this, uh, would this be part of uh, an endotoxin-type uh, scenario? Um, yeah, uh, endotoxin triggers uh, nitric oxide and uh, serotonin and uh, various types of stress and depression uh, tend to slow uh, nerve function in many ways, uh, and uh, people experience it as a, a feeling of need to withdraw, uh, being depressed or anxious, or sometimes defensive and aggressive. Uh, if, if you uh, feed rats... Uh, uh, beans, for example, uh, containing uh, the, the uh, soluble fibers that can feed bacteria that create irritation and uh, increase the serotonin, uh, the rats become both anxious and aggressive, uh, fearful but uh, defensive and quick to attack. Yeah. Okay, because I, I, what I'm getting from this is that anxiety uh, is probably one of the main um, what main things to avoid uh, in terms of having, uh, you know, a, a competent uh, memory and a competent, uh, you know, uh, cognition? That, that the whole the whole physiological effect of stress and anxiety are all working against um, having that kind of uh, stillness that would enable one to uh, recapitulate events or to remember uh, even simple facts. And hyperventilation, for example, uh, when you're feeling anxious, uh, it, it's common to uh, breathe harder and uh, deeper and lose carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide seems to be a nerve stabilizer, uh, protects nerves against many types of stress and, and uh, inflammation. And uh, as the carbon dioxide goes down, your platelets release more serotonin and probably other inflammatory things. And uh, so just hyperventilating is enough to uh, trigger a process that tends to slow you down, make you retreat, and uh, not think very clearly. Hmm. And, and so interestingly, uh, anything that will increase your ability to retain carbon dioxide uh, tends to uh, help you uh, think calmly and clearly. And, and you say that um, thyroid does that. It, uh, it helps you retain CO2? 
Um, yeah, thyroid and progesterone and pregnenolone, all of the anti-stress things. Yeah. And, uh, and that reminds me about um, magnesium carbonate. I was uh, uh, thinking about that earlier as a, uh, a uh, not a laxative, but definitely as a, a product which um, will produce a, a relatively uh, smooth bowel movement. And not to, not to joke too much about it, but in itself, magnesium carbonate would uh, liberate some CO2 in that sense, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, and uh, thyroid uh, lets your cells retain the magnesium. So uh, magnesium carbonate is, in a way, a, a short-term uh, thyroid uh, supporter. Um, keeping your brain warm is another thing. that uh, uh, Just running at a higher temperature, your brain produces more CO2 and uh, generally will... Uh, retain the magnesium more efficiently uh, as if it's under the influence of thyroid. Right, so the thyroid hormone itself, in a, in a healthy individual with adequate thyroid function, that would be, um, it would happen anyway. So you'd be running at an adequately warm enough temperature for your brain uh, to be doing that. Yeah, I, I've known many people who uh, complained about uh, memory problems and uh, foggy consciousness uh, sense of of being in a fog, and uh, they often had a, a temperature, oral temperature of 96 or under 97 degrees, and uh, getting their uh, brain temperature up towards uh, 98 or 99 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, their memory improves tremendously. Uh, I've noticed uh, when I was in school, uh, if I had neglected to study for a test, uh, if I would take uh, some uh, vitamin B1 uh, the night before and then read the book and then take some just before the test, uh, I, I, I mentioned that to a couple of other people, and uh, it has worked for everyone I know who has tried it. Uh, they always got uh, perfect A's on their tests. Well, you've let your secret out. <laughs> okay. So, um, let me just think. Okay, yeah. I, I was um, just kind of go back to uh, sodium. You said, I know you've mentioned that sodium itself, and again, this is another controversial subject, but that's what this show's all about, I think. It's not so much controversy, but it's actually the truth, and it sounds so shocking that it seems to be controversial, but sodium in, in, in the form of regular table salt, and I know we've done lots of different shows or interjected shows with uh, mentioning how good and positive and healthful and beneficial salt is for you, even though that most uh, of the uh, advertising media wants to tell you how bad it is, just like sugar. That salt itself is very important in terms of retaining the magnesium that you're saying. Um, and uh, stress and aging uh, tend to make it harder to retain the sodium. Uh, uh, hyponatremia is a big problem for uh, sick old people but occasionally it happens in hypothyroid younger people uh, because the thyroid making carbon dioxide is an important uh, factor in, in retaining uh, sodium so it doesn't get lost in the urine. Huh. And uh, when your body is sensing too much loss of sodium, the adrenals produce aldosterone uh, to save the sodium, and aldosterone tells the kidneys, 
to lose magnesium. Uh, and so if you take enough sodium to keep your uh, adrenals from making aldosterone, your kidneys are going to save magnesium. So uh, in that situation, eating extra salt is going to be equivalent to uh, having more magnesium in your diet because you'll lose it less quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you're an advocate of salting your food and using salt in recipes and, um, yeah. Yeah, salt, protein, uh, uh, progesterone, and thyroid are the, the main things for keeping your brain temperature up yeah. and uh, functioning well. Okay, well, un unfortunately, it's uh, f coming up for three minutes to eight o'clock. So in order to let people know more about you, I'll have to cut the show short there. But thank you so much for joining us again uh, and sharing your wisdom with us. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so for those people uh, who've been listening, uh, if you want to find out more about Dr. Raymond Pete, you can visit his website. That website address is www.raypete.com. Dot com r-a-y-p-e-a-t dot com uh, there's lots of articles there he's not selling anything uh, he's just uh, he's just so into what he's doing that he's passionate enough about it to put it all on his website and it's fully referenced so uh, if you want to learn more about uh, some of those things that you think of controversial that we've mentioned like salt is good for you or sugar is good for you um, please take a look at his website and you'll find out for those people who have any uh, any, any need to know the science behind it, it's the best place to go. For those people who are perhaps not so interested about the science but just want to uh, understand it a little more, it may seem a little heady, um, but it's all fully referenced, and his work is, uh, is pioneering. I can't say anything less than that. A lot of what he's said and espoused is certainly being taken up by even the mainstream, and I know recently, in this last 12 months at least, um, polyunsaturated fats are now being looked at as the bad the bad guys uh, which is what he's always said that the polyunsaturates the liquid oils the fish oil it's all the bad stuff and that salt and sugar is actually very beneficial for you there's many different reasons why okay so raypeat.com and for those people uh, who want to contact us monday through friday we can be reached at 1-888-WBM-HERB so every third friday of the month it's the show ask your herb doctor so until June of uh, next, this, <laughs> next June. Here we go, in the middle of summer already. Gosh, it's only a few weeks away from the solstice. Hey, until June, uh, we wish you all good night. Good night. All right. I want to thank the Herb Doctor and Dr. Pete for another great program. And I want to let you know about an important event coming up tomorrow. And... Uh, it is. It doubles as underwriting here on the mud, and that's really a good thing. Support for KMUD comes from Humboldt Waste Management Authority hosting a Household Hazardous Waste Collection Day at the Caltrans Yard in Garberville tomorrow, Saturday, May 17th from 9 a.m. until 2 p.m. So you can get rid of your household hazardous waste and still get to the block party. Households can bring up to 15-gallon containers or 125 pounds. Materials accepted include liquid paint, auto and garden products, cleaners, aerosols, pharmaceuticals, medical sharps, and a red biohazard box, and up to 10 fluorescent and 3 HIDs. No ammunition, electronics, or appliances at this event. More info is at 707-441-2005 or hwma.net. It is 659 and 
38 seconds, and uh, I'm kind of waiting for someone to come in here for Funked Up with Cousin Mark. Uh, if no one shows up, I've got a couple things queued up, and we'll take it from there, and we'll keep it funky right up to the 10 o'clock hour when Madman Mike gets here. Came with thanks Jessica Baker of J Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio, practicing